Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. Now, when it comes to the book of Genesis, one thing is for certain, is that it's filled with stories, some of them joyous and inspiring, but also a few that are, shall we say, difficult to hear. And yet, inevitably, even those stories will show forth the love, care, and providence of God. Such is the case of the tale of Hagar and Ishmael, which is the subject of today's message, based on Genesis 21, verses 8 through 21. Here's the message entitled, A Strange and Unlovely Story. Well, after hearing this morning's text read aloud this morning from Sarah, let me first just affirm that which I have actually been thinking a lot about over the past couple of weeks as I've been preparing this message. The truth that anyone who will tell you that the Bible is filled with nothing but good, honest, upright folk of great moral character has never read the book of Genesis. I understand. You know, so far in the sermon series, the tales we've been looking at are pretty much stories that are Sunday school friendly, right? But this one, this one stands amongst the, the most difficult and disturbing passages in all of Scripture. It is what at least one biblical commentator has referred to as a strange and unlovely story. It's a tragic tale of petty jealousy that leads to betrayal, human cruelty, and utter despair. It is a story in which the faithful show their faithlessness, in which heroes turn out to be something akin to villains, and the victims are left out into the wilderness to perish. And for the moment, let's not even talk about God's seeming acquiescence to the whole matter. Now, it is important to acknowledge that this, this is a narrative that, that comes out of a vastly different time than our own, a vastly different culture than our own. To say nothing of the fact that our modern-day theology, our understanding of God is, is much more, shall we say, progressive uh, than that of those who were living in ancient times. That was something, friends, that, that we've wrestled with a lot on our Wednesday noontime Bible studies, that those, those differences from what we understand now and how God is often depicted in the Old Testament. So... That said, we know, we understand that this is what we've read today, literally ancient history. And yet, and yet to hear about Sarah and Abraham in the context of today's text, and also considering that a couple of weeks ago we were celebrating with them the blessed birth of their son Isaac, this is a story that manages to make us shudder when we consider what these two supposedly faithful senior citizens were capable of doing. So here, as they like to say on television these days, is the recap. 
Now, if you've been with us through this series, you already know that, that God has promised to make of Abraham a great nation and that he and Sarah, even in their older age, would have a family by which all the families of the earth would be blessed and that their descendants would number as many as the stars in the sky. But, of course, as the years passed and nothing was happening in that regard, Sarah with some understandable doubt that God's promise would ever be fulfilled and desperate to provide Abraham an heir, she had enlisted Hagar, her much younger Egyptian slave girl, to bear Abraham's child. And soon enough, Hagar gave birth to a baby boy who was named Ishmael, which, by the way, means God hears. But then, in the last episode, I mean the last sermon, we learn that Sarah, in her old age, is going to have a baby of her own. And this is going to be this miracle child who would be named Isaac, a name that, as you'll recall, means God brings laughter. And so, here we are. And as we pick up the story in our text today, Isaac is now old enough to have been weaned. And Abraham is throwing a party to celebrate. But all is not well, friends. For you see, by this time, Ishmael, Abraham's other son, he's, oh, probably 13 or 14 years old. And, and we are told in our text today that he is playing with young Isaac which sounds innocent enough until you realize that in the original Hebrew, playing is probably better translated as teasing or mocking or laughing at. Now, perhaps all of this was, writes the Reverend Linda Pepe, was Ishmael doing what older brothers do, holding a ball just out of his reach, saying, come on, come on, you can take it, go ahead, go ahead, and then pulling it away again at the last moment. Or maybe it was something much worse, who knows? But the point here is, what we need to take from this, is that Sarah, Isaac's mom, remember, sees all this happening and steps in like the mama bear that she is. She scoops up little Isaac and carries her toddler away from this obnoxious 14-year-old. Now, whatever it was that initially set her off, what's clear here is that in that moment, something akin to rage awakened in Sarah. Certainly, there had to have been some jealousy over Hagar playing into this. But here's something interesting. Biblical historians also point out that while Isaac might well be considered the promised one, the birthright laws of those ancient times declared that it was always the eldest son, which in this case, of course, is Ishmael and not Isaac, who would inherit everything and become the de facto leader of the family, especially and including as regards its spiritual leadership. And friends, that was more than Sarah could take. So she immediately goes to Abraham and she demands that Abraham throw both of them, Ishmael and Hagar, out of the house 
and out into the desert and to do it right now. A request that becomes all the more ominous when we discover that God then says to a very distressed Abraham that he should go ahead and do whatever Sarah asks of him. Because, God says, it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. And as for the son of the slave woman, God goes on to say, I will take care of him. I will raise up a nation through him as well because he is also your son. And this, friends, is how it comes to be that the very next morning, Abraham gives Hagar a tiny bit of bread and a container of water and sends her an Ishmael, his firstborn, mind you. He sends them away to face almost certain death on the hot desert sand. And soon, as you would imagine, the water runs out. Ishmael is crying from thirst, and Hagar puts Ishmael under the shade of a nearby bush, and she walks away the distance of a bow shot, we're told, because she cannot bear to be so close as to hear her son's anguished cries and to watch him slowly die. Now see what I mean here about strange and unlovely? I mean, why? If I might quote Linda Pepe once again, how can we not be angry at Abraham for listening to Sarah? How can we not be angry at God for letting Abraham push Hagar and his firstborn out of their lives? How would God allow what we would perceive to be injustice and selfishness and manipulation on Sarah's part to have such an impact on the innocent? Again, why would anything like this ever happen? Well, I'll tell you, these are questions for the ages, but they're also questions that are all too familiar to us. These are the same kind of questions we ask in the aftermath of every new report we get of some kind of violent act or random shooting. Questions posed when we learn of, of the latest injustice that's been inflicted on those in need. Questions in our own time of sadness and grief and helplessness when, when we find ourselves looking heavenward and wanting what every fiber of our being to just scream out in our pain. Why? Why? Why is it for us that there seemingly have to be these moments in life when just like the psalmist and our Lord Jesus before us, we are somehow compelled to cry out in anguish lament, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sadly, the only answer we usually can come up with for such questions is, well, that's how life is. It is what it is, right? Or at least that's how it seems. This image we have in Genesis of Hagar and Ishmael languishing out in the desert ends up for us being an apt parable for the harsh realities of this world and the people in it. 
Except that's not the end of the story, is it? Do you remember what I said earlier about Ishmael's name meaning God's hears? Well, here's another bit of not so trivial biblical trivia. Not long after Ishmael was born in the midst of an earlier conflict with Sarah, Hagar has an encounter with the Lord, whom she names Elroy, which means the God who sees. So now here's Hagar and Ishmael out dying in the hot desert sun, and, and what are we told? We're told that God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. And suddenly, miraculously, there's a well of water. The boy, and presumably his mother as well, gets a drink, and from that moment on, we're told that God was with the boy, and he grew up. God hears, God sees, God gives life. It is a strange and unlovely story, this tale of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Ishmael. But isn't it interesting, friends, that ultimately this is a story that tells of the triumph of life over death, about the victory of God's resourcefulness and grace over the utter humanness of his people of faith. There's a lot to think about in this story, is there not? The fact that God did not wish to see Hagar and Ishmael die in the desert, it, that reminds us that God's blessing is broader and fuller than what you and I often like to think. The same God who blesses Sarah, you see, also intends to bless Hagar. And just because God blessed Isaac does not mean that there was not also a divine plan for Ishmael and his descendants. It is worth noting here that just as he promised, God made, also made a great nation of Ishmael. As a matter of fact, Muslim tradition recognized Hagar's son Ishmael and not Isaac as the primary child of that promise. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all coming from that same source. My point here is that it's often difficult, if not impossible, for us to see any kind of providence happening in the midst of life's hot sands, our arid hearts, as it were. Somehow, by God's grace and by God's divine love, it always does. Providence happens. It's the same interesting and troubling challenge that comes to so many of us in our lives. To listen for God's voice and to search for evidence of God's promises, to, to walk in faith even when you and I are feeling at our most hopeless and helpless. I'm sure I have probably shared with this with you in the past, but for those of you who may not know this, when our oldest son was young in middle school, he was diagnosed with a pituitary tumor for which he underwent four surgeries and radiation treatment over the course of a decade. 
Now, I hasten to add here that the tumor is gone. He is fine. He's living his best life. But as you can imagine, those years were difficult and stressful, certainly for Jake and also for his family as well. And I mentioned this this morning because actually I think one of Lisa's and my most indelible memories of that time were in fact those four moments when he was wheeled into the operating room for surgery. I remember thinking at the time that, that Jake was under the absolute best of care, that the medical technology available to the doctors and the attending staff was nothing short of incredible, that with computers and lasers, detailed magnetic imaging, and so much more at their disposal, skilled surgeons had the tools that went a long way in making the healing process a faster, easier, and much more successful process. But here's the thing, this is what I need to tell you. I realized almost immediately that all that vast amount of skill, all that information, all that sophisticated technology, when that moment comes and it's your kid being rolled into the operating room, it means very, very little to you. You still feel as though the ground has crumbled beneath your feet. You still feel absolutely powerless to do anything about the situation. And, and you're left there with your own thoughts, with your prayers, and you, you've got to figure it out. You get through it, of course. But ultimately, you see, it's something much more than all that I've mentioned that gives you the hope and the healing and the comfort that you need. It's that knowledge, that assurance, that promise that God hears and God sees and God gives life. So much of life is like that, friends. But it seems to me that the central truth of this old, old story from Genesis is not that we are meant to merely meander and suffer in life's wilderness, but rather that God can and does hear us and sees us at our most hopeless and helpless, and that God brings us his blessing. Friends, ours is the God of those deserted in the wilderness. Ours is the God who stands amongst the dispossessed and the abandoned and says, I see you, I hear you, I love you. Ours is the God who lifts us up when we have fallen, who brings us comfort and peace when there's none to be found, who brings us the blessing that comes in claiming each one of us as his very own. Now, it may well be that for most of us here this morning, we are both literally and figuratively a long way from the desert, and that life for us is replete with God's many blessings. And if that's the case for you, thanks and praise be unto God. But that said, I'd also suggest to you that today is a good time to remember that God's blessings come to us not only in the moments of utter joy, but also in the times that we face of struggle sorrow, uncertainty, and grief. And also, knowing that God not only hears our prayers of praise and thanksgiving,
but also God hears our most anguished cries of pain and despair. Because God hears, and God sees, and God gives life. Beloved God, even now, is with us. Even at this very moment, God hears us. He sees us and he loves us. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, A Strange and Unlovely Story. It's part of our current summer sermon series that we're calling The Old, Old Story, Tales from the Book of Genesis. This was recorded during our July the 2nd service of worship at East Church, where, by the way, you are always invited to join us in person for worship. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, just off exit 16 of I-93 in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. We are a small, mighty, and spirited congregation, and we would love to have the opportunity to welcome you. I know you'll be glad you came. For now, that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.